the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, The Finance Ghost and Mohamed Nalla. Together, we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets. Our recent shows in Magic Markets Premium have included technology platforms like Spotify, pure plays on American consumers like Winnebago, a recap on FedEx and even Tupperware and its near bankruptcy. For 99 Rand a month or 990 Rand a year, there is simply no better way to learn about the world of investing. Visit magic-markets.com for more. Welcome to episode 123 of Magic Markets. Mo and I are trying to squeeze this in around trying to record our premium show, which we've just finished and which I'm very excited about this week, and load shedding, which I have starting rather soon. And if I don't think cook before load shedding, that'll be it for me tonight. So Mo, I'm really sorry. You live in Canada now. You still have to deal with trying to fit things around load shedding. (laughs) There's just no getting away from it for you. It's one of those things. Indeed, Ghost. Always a pleasure doing this with you. And, you know, the only kind of stages we get here is like, what stage of magic markets are we going to be recording? Is it premium? Is it free? Is it episode one, two, three? Uh, <laughs> I'm going to throw that. Listen, don't, don't jinx it. Don't jinx <laughs> it. You need electricity. We don't have snow here. <laughs> that is very true. It's come sucks, but at least we don't freeze. <laughs> At least you don't. At least you don't freeze. And the only freezing I, I do, other than temperature-wise, is also my internet. So we've always lamented the bad internet in Canada. True. I'll let you have True. that win, Ghost. I'll let you have that win. But this week, guys, we're going to actually go with a slightly different take. In that there's a lot happening in the markets, and so we're going to touch on a number of themes, a number of narratives that we're seeing in the market. And Ghost, you know, just leveraging off that Eskom story and how you know you could argue South Africa's maybe the value trade or maybe it's the value trap. But globally, there's a theme around growth and value that's playing out. Why is this important is I get questions all the time on the macro side from some of my clients in terms of where are we in the business cycle? And sometimes a nice way to map that is you have a look at the performance of growth stocks, you have a look at the performance of value stocks as different styles. What's coming through? And some of the themes that I've certainly seen very recently is over the course of the last quarter versus the last year, you've actually started to see an emergence of cyclical stocks coming through. We've unpacked some of the cyclical stocks at Magic Markets Premium as well, but that theme suggests to me that we are maybe at around the recession point and a slight turning or pivot point in the US, but that doesn't necessarily translate into the same business cycle in South Africa. So where I'm going with this ghost is I want to understand what is your perception at this stage in terms of growth stocks versus value stocks. Is there still merit in considering kind of the old behavior of these two different styles? What are the main differences and divergences? And what are some of the sub-themes that we're seeing coming through in terms of the performance, the relative performance of stocks that we categorize as growth or stocks that we categorize as value? Yeah, so this is one of the biggest debates in finance, right? And I know from my side, you know, I just like money, I'm a simple guy. I don't really care if I make it on a growth stock or value stock. I literally don't care. There are others who will live and die by whether or not they are growth investors or value investors. They build entire businesses around it. And that's because asset allocation professionals are looking for different kinds of managers at different times. So it doesn't help them if a value manager suddenly wakes up tomorrow and decides, hey, I'm tired of this, I actually am gonna start buying growth. Equally, it does not help 
if you know Kathy Wood wakes up tomorrow and decides she's suddenly buying big dividend paying stocks, she's not doing growth anymore. So the point is that you find these specialists in the market and they are very hell-bent on specific styles. You can actually learn a lot about growth and value investing by just seeking out those different managers if you want to. It's not hard to do, it's just a bit of Googling really. Um, and you will then find their fact sheets, you'll find their investor letters, you'll learn a lot about the way they think from actually just reading a lot of what they do. But of course, we need to touch on what growth investing is versus value investing. And you know, there's a lot of different ways to explain it. There are, of course, the more academic ways to look at it. I can only speak really based on what I've seen in my experience, getting to know value managers, growth managers, what I've read in the markets, the people I've spoken to. And I think that at the end of the day, a value manager is just a little bit more focused on what is tangible today. They are a little bit more focused on, you know, what sort of cash is coming out of this business right now or in the very near term. How much visibility do I have over that cash and trying not to overpay for it. Growth investors are a lot more interested in what is the long-term story behind this business. What are the market dynamics, supply and demand? Does this thing really have a moat? Can it keep growing? What is its total addressable market? What do the unit economics look like? Growth investing is almost a leap of faith, I think, in many ways. You need to kind of look at something and say, okay, what can this be in five years from now or 10 years from now? What does that look like? And a lot of people think that growth investing is the same as investing in tech, but that's not necessarily true. And I would give a shout out here to the team from Anbro, who are regular guests on Magic Markets. They are very much growth investors at heart, but they look beyond just tech. You know, they're looking at other sectors as well, at businesses that are fast growing, interesting big total addressable market. They are a great example of growth thinking and listening to any of their shows would actually help you understand a little bit more about what a growth mindset sounds like. Yeah, I think that's so fantastic, Ghost. I mean, it's, it's so important. And also, I guess, links very nicely into the, the next thing I want to discuss here, you know, in terms of that whole growth versus value mindset of how you contextualize, how you value investments, that leap of faith. I know, for example, we've gone through the last week, we've had some big tech earnings releases. And I don't want to make this about tech because growth and value, as you indicated, is not just about tech stock versus the rest. But I want to bring in a discussion here around Meta or Facebook as it was previously known. You know, the artist formerly known as, as Facebook. <laughs> now, Meta actually posted some results last week. On the actual release, the stock gapped up around 8%. But if you have a look at the overarching narrative around Meta, you know, it hasn't been fantastic. There is you know, this, this drag on staff morale from the series of layoffs that they've had. I think they're now at the second or third phase of massive staff layoffs. And there are reports of Zuckerberg losing the confidence of key members of his staff. We're not just talking the rank and file. We're talking around senior members in his executive team. And the question mark here is, has he lost his vision? And the reason why I want to raise this is you could look at this as the growth investor and say, well, you know, there are concepts here like, for example, the metaverse or AI. And do we give management the benefit of the doubt there? I mean, this stock is up from trading around $80 not so long ago to around $240 currently. So yes, you would have carried the pain down, but if you got it at a bottom tick, you've actually enjoyed some phenomenal growth over the course of the last several months. So that would be the growth mindset. But perhaps the value mindset would look at this and say, well, isn't Meta's core business, social media, the advertising that goes with that, isn't that business being eaten by the likes of a TikTok? 
And should we be paying up for this company? So maybe we can contextualize growth and value, but now bring that back into a stock meta that we have also covered incidentally on Magic Markets Premium historically. So I'm almost flat on meta, which is quite exciting because at one point those mark-to-market losses were quite awful. Now they aren't, which is uh, kind of nice, obviously. I think the other point about value investors that I'll make is I think they're quite good at gauging the market's emotions and what they often look out for is a broken growth story for example or a stock where a lot of disgust has started to actually creep in and certainly but I think it was the third quarter of last year those results where Facebook meta whatever you will call it their free cash flow was almost nothing and at that point disgust set in severely there was a Jim Cramer interview about how he was giving up which obviously sparked a massive rally in the price and you know <laughs> some things are just too consistent not to laugh at but the point here is at that point in time meta was a particularly interesting play because a lot of the bulls had kind of left the room but what you needed was for Zuckerberg to realize that he was sinking the place and has he realized that well Maybe. I actually had a look at their results now, the ones that just came out. I read through the earnings transcript because so much of this is the narrative and understanding where their heads are at. And the metaverse gets called the other technology wave, which I think is hilarious. They renamed the company Meta and now it's the other technology wave because of course what is the big wave right now is artificial intelligence. So will we see Meta renamed to AI or maybe just III, you know, as people shake their head in sadness, Mo, I know you wanted to call one of our shows that at one point, I thought it was quite clever, might be appropriate for Meta. But the point is that they are still losing money hand over fist in their reality labs business. The Oculus sales are way down year on year. They're trying very, very hard to create the product that literally no one asked for. And if Meta just focuses on their actual core business, which is Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp, they have a really great business. You don't need to be a big shot growth investor to have a lot of belief in the fact that they can keep growing that thing. So interestingly enough, Meta almost went on a journey from being a growth darling through to actually being a value investor stock by looking at this and saying, okay, this story is very broken, but underneath all of this is a proper business. It just needs Zuckerberg to tone it down on Reality Labs and actually cut staff, which he's done. You know, so you end up sounding like a very hard-nosed capitalist when unfortunately that becomes part of your investment thesis. But the reality is these tech companies were all incredibly bloated with staff. They needed to do something. And in many ways, I think Musk, with what he did at Twitter, actually demonstrated that you can run these things with way fewer people. And uh, that's actually almost prepared the market for these layoffs. They almost accept it now. It's, it's, it's almost a bit weird if you're not laying off staff because people know how bloated these things are. Yeah, you stole my thunder with that III, right? Because I was, I was waiting for, for Meta to now rebrand itself as AI. Uh, let's, let's wait for it. I mean, while Zuckerberg's avatar in the metaverse might not have legs, maybe this company still does have legs. <laughs> Just throwing that in there. I, I fully agree with you. I think focusing on the core business, you know, they, they had a pretty decent business, a pretty decent ecosystem. Uh, thankfully, I had gotten out of meta just before that very last push all the way down. So I, I almost think we're now close to a level where I had gotten out of the stock. Uh, do I look at getting back in again? I'm Whilst I buy the, the whole metaverse theory and using augmented reality and the advertising potential of that, because that's really the capitalist view on this, is how can meta monetize that effectively? Whilst I buy some of that, I think the shine has come off as the focus has shifted towards AI. And I think the risk here is that Zuckerberg starts to look as though he's flip-flopping around what the core strategy should be. I don't know how you know refocusing on AI, arguably as a business, 
changes the narrative. I think you know the, the metaverse maybe was still closer related to the core businesses uh, that they have in their ecosystem, but let's see how it plays out. I'm not wild about it. At this point in time though, we also had Netflix. I'm gonna throw this because I know it's one that you always give me flack about. So I wanna be on the front foot here and say we had results coming out of Netflix. Uh, I know you don't like it, but I wanna touch on a couple of key points here because you know I've stayed a Netflix investor through the pain, the same way you stayed a meta investor through the pain. I've held Netflix all the way down and into this bounce that we've had right now. And importantly, Reed Hastings has stepped back. You know, you could see that as a good or a bad thing. Uh, but the interesting thing that came out for me from last week's earnings on Netflix was that they are effectively doubling down on massive investment in South Korea. Now, we know about the success of the likes of Squid Game, for example, and you'd be amazed at how popular the South Korean content appears to be at Netflix. But is this maybe their geographical play to try and grow the market out there in a high potential market? Is it just a content generation strategy? That needs to be seen. The big thing for me on the actual nuts and bolts of the business, though, Ghost, is that I was quite upbeat about the password crackdown that was coming down on password sharing because I believe that this had the potential to maybe unlock some additional revenue uptick, some expansion coming through there. And interestingly enough, the company has delayed their crackdown because they are concerned around the recent cancel rates that have come through. I saw an article about the number of subscribers that they may be losing in certain geographies. So that's an interesting quirk for me at this point in time. And then a last one, just in terms of the, the recent dimensions, dynamics, there is a Hollywood writer's strike. And so this might just come through in terms of some very short-term pressure, not just on Netflix, but on the likes of Disney. I wanna unpack your view on Netflix because ironically, I know that I've done better on Netflix more recently than I've done on Disney, which was the kind of other uh, comparison that we've done here at Magic Markets Premium. We've covered both of those. Netflix actually outperforming my Disney investment, certainly over the course of the last several months, maybe even going on a year. What's your view on that, Ghost? Yeah, like Disney was just a sore point. It is still a sore point. I knew you would bring it up. You know, where the management team is basically just real life goofy, perhaps better only than the people at Tupperware. I don't know. They just, they really messed up what could have been actually a great story at Disney. So hopefully they'll get it right and stop throwing money in the wrong places. I will say this to you, Mo. So while you were busy, you know, throwing out there how wonderful Netflix is, I drew a five-year chart of some of the biggest names in tech. And it is incredibly interesting. So Netflix over five years is down 0.4% which is not great we can all agree meta and amazon up sort of low to mid 30s still pretty bad right that's over five years that's not kgar that is total return apple and microsoft up 265 percent and 220 percent respectively and i think the point here is ultimately just where the economics are in some of these tech companies apple microsoft they have just got the pick of the litter when it comes to the economics. Amazon is trying really hard to build out this big e-commerce business. It's incredibly costly. It's hurting their free cash flows. You know, the market's gotten a little bit tired of waiting for it. Meta, they obviously went on this crazy meander and did all sorts of weird and wacky things. And I think Netflix has just been the victim of one, a bad valuation coming into this period. I think people got way too excited about streaming and they assumed that Netflix would be in this competitive vacuum forever and I still think that's what's you know going to happen with the likes of a Tesla is people assume that the market leader will be the market leader forever and that's why we always look at the moat when we cover companies in Magic Markets Premium and the other thing with Netflix I guess is just the cost of content which has been a Disney challenge 
as well. You know, if you think about it, Apple and Microsoft are platform businesses. So is Meta in many ways. It's a platform for content and they make advertising revenue off that. Netflix, it's even worse than that. They make content and they have to earn subscription revenue off that. And if there's a ton of competition out there, subscription revenue is harder to come by. Having said that, I think Netflix is an interesting business at the right price, obviously. But the right price is something that is still being figured out. And certainly if I draw this chart, you know, those who bought before the pandemic, it's really unfortunate because you could have made such a good case at the time for the strength of streaming. It would have done and it did do so well over the pandemic. But valuation ultimately matters. And I think that is where value and growth investors actually need to just sit down and agree. Or maybe growth investors need to listen a little bit more to value investors actually is valuation is super important. It's lovely to have this great story, but what you pay for it is ultimately going to determine your returns on this thing. Meta is perfect evidence since its big capitulation, and the Netflix long-term chart is another great example. This is a household name, and yet over five years, you've made exactly nothing. Yeah, Ghost, I want to touch on a, on a key point as well, because again, long-time listeners and certainly our subscribers to Premium will know that Microsoft has been a longtime favorite of both yours and mine. It goes in my core portfolio. I've had the stock in there. Uh, I periodically and opportunistically add to that position. And why do I raise it is that even in the context of Netflix, again, our premium subscribers will know that Microsoft, for example, was actually brought in as the partner to Netflix in terms of their advertising business. So that's just showing you that even in that value chain, Microsoft choosing where it gets to play. So I'm certainly very happy with the Microsoft performance that came through. A point to note in terms of recent developments around Microsoft was the pressure it's getting on its potential acquisition of Activision Blizzard, which now looks as though it's not going to go ahead because they did not get the approval from regulatory authorities. So that shows you that even if you're a big business, let's call you maybe a growth business that incubates some value or maybe a value business that incubates some growth when you get to a certain scale when you're trying to bring some of these clips in on the deal ticket when you're the likes of a microsoft antitrust regulators are going to push back against you keep that in the back of your mind because that is a very real concern when it comes to some stocks in the market yeah mo it's all incredibly interesting to look at ultimately and content businesses in general have just been suffering so while you were talking i looked up disney guess what over five years that's also slightly in the red so pretty much in line with netflix actually over five years which is remarkable and then spotify great business right we've covered it in premium we all use it i love spotify i have no idea what i would do without it now down 12 percent over five years so again, you go and you buy the household name, you go buy the business you use every day and your money's in the red and you just don't understand why. And that is the joy of valuations. And maybe if we move past the tech story at the moment, the other thing that has very strongly been in the headlines and we touched on it a little bit a couple of weeks ago, but it's been in the headlines again and I think it's going to continue being in the headlines is what is going on in US banking. JP Morgan, that's a company that again, we've covered in Magic Markets Premium. It looks like they are getting to sort of be the savior of some of these smaller regional banks that are falling over. Yeah, Ghost, maybe I won't spend too much time on this because again, regular listeners will know we've kind of covered the US banking story quite recently uh, in a podcast that we had done about two weeks ago. Uh, but that being said, it's important to mention because JP Morgan to the rescue again, Jamie Dimon, you know, the quintessential statesman businessman uh, to the rescue yet again. And this is interesting because it's the failure of yet another small US bank. We discussed, for example, Silicon Valley Bank. We've discussed the regional and industry concentration of some of these players. And just a few weeks ago, Jamie Dimon was actually instrumental in convincing some of his peers from the banking fraternity, the large, systemically important banks, 
to put some money into First Republic Bank to try and ensure that they don't fail. But unfortunately, that bank has been hit with, I believe the number was around $80 billion worth of deposit outflows over the course of the last couple of weeks. And so that's just too much pressure for them to bear. At the tail end of last week, this bank looked as though it was going to hit the wall. And so lo and behold, regulators asked all of the large banks to sharpen their pencils, come up with a bid over the course of the weekend. By the time we got to Monday morning's trade, it was a done deal. JP Morgan was the winning bid. They went in, they've rescued, now fully acquired many parts of First Republic Bank. Its assets and liabilities book will move across to JP Morgan and in exchange for effectively a $10 billion payment to the federal insurance fund that the feds, the government will still bear some losses, but the entire deal was orchestrated around trying to mitigate losses that would be pushed through effectively to the taxpayer. Now let's bring this back to JP Morgan because again, longtime subscribers and listeners and go and have a look at our show. It was done quite some time ago, but JP Morgan was one of our primo picks, if you want to call it that, in the US banking sector. They're just that big. And I recall when we covered those results some time ago, JP Morgan was actually bemoaning the fact that they were sitting with too much capital. They just had all of this capital literally pouring out of their ears. And so in a way, it's almost good to see JP Morgan being able to deploy some of that capital. Remember, there were some regulatory constraints on JP Morgan in terms of it growing its deposit share. So it will be interesting to see how the acquisition of First Republic Bank actually will that waive some of those previous restrictions in terms of JP Morgan's share of the overall depositor market. I certainly think so because it was deemed to be a systemic risk. Uh, but by and large, the, the big, the large banks, they get bigger, they get stronger. And JP Morgan, the biggest, meanest kid on the block. So just for absolute fun, I actually just drew JP Morgan over five years versus Netflix. This is obviously a ridiculous comparison, but actually if you go and draw that chart, it's amazing how you can see what has happened in the past five years coming through so brilliantly. You know, the pandemic hits, JP Morgan absolutely tanks because everyone is scared of impairments, etc. Netflix goes to the moon because everyone is stuck at home. They're subscribing to Netflix. They're watching it and keeps going to the moon. Sort of 2021 comes along. JP Morgan's stock price then takes off because the liquidity from the Fed has now found its way into the markets. Volatility is enormous. Listings are through the roof. JP Morgan is smiling all the way to the bank, literally. And then around the end of 2021, start of 2022, Netflix's story just absolutely falls over completely. And JP Morgan takes a little bit of a dive as some of the liquidity gets sucked out of the market and interest rates start to climb and people get worried again. What's that going to all mean? As we sit today, JP Morgan up 28% over five years, still not an exciting return. Remember that is in dollars. Uh, I would encourage you to not draw a five-year chart of the Rand dollar because it will probably just upset you. So remember, these are dollar returns. And I guess, Mo, all of this is why we love the markets, right? And unfortunately, with my joyous load shedding coming soon, we're almost out of time. But, you know, there's just so much exciting stuff out there. And I love that we get to cover so much of it in Magic Markets Premium and see how these things all work together and against each other sometimes. Yeah, Ghost, I mean, maybe maybe this is a nice place to kind of wrap it. I think we've gone through the full cycle in totality. You know, we've discussed, you know, growth stocks. We've discussed value stocks. Uh, your, your last comments around JP Morgan and the performance over five years is such a great way to just map 
you know, that economic cycle that we actually started off with on this particular podcast, because in different economic cycles, you're going to get utilities outperforming, and then you're going to get financials outperforming, and eventually financials will underperform and cyclical stocks will start to come through again. So trying to, you know, square that circle eventually is that you've got to actually apply a much longer term lens. You've got to look at what's happened over the course of the entire economic cycle. Yes, I know there's a pandemic in the middle, which certainly you know, upsets the apple cart a little bit, but this is a nice way for investors to frame both a macro framework as well as a micro framework and say, what does this mean for how we deploy capital? What are some of the more recent news stories? How does that adjust the investment thesis of stocks that we may have discussed over the course of the last several months, both here on our free show as well as on Magic Markets Premium? But unfortunately, that's where we're going to have to leave it this week, uh, just given the time constraints. So we hope you've enjoyed the show. If you're not a subscriber to Magic Markets Premium, we really think you should go and have a look at what's on there. There is a sample report on the website. It's not just a sample. It's actually an archive report of a stock that we had covered several months ago. So you can go to our website, which is www.magic-markets.com to go and check that out. You can actually have a look under the hood to see the type of product you're getting, the type of write-up, the type of podcast you're getting in Magic Markets Premium. And we certainly think that would be the best value for money in terms of your investment education journey. So we hope you've enjoyed this. Until next week, same time, same place. Thanks and cheers. Ciao. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor